G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's podcast is a restart of our Following the Saviour series in Mark's Gospel. The title is Following Purity and it focuses on Mark chapter 7 verses 1 to 23. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark chapter 7 beginning at the first verse. Glory Glory to you you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with their hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is coban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the words of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, His disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, 
but into their stomach and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside a defiled person. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Well, a story is told about the philosopher's cat. One day, a student went to the philosophy school and he saw a poor, wretched little cat tied to a pillar. And he asked one of the teachers what the cat was doing there. And the teacher said, well, I don't know. We've just always done it that way. And so the student decided to do a little bit of research. He went back to those who'd known the School of Philosophy in years gone by. And he heard the story of the great philosopher who had a cat. And one day his cat followed him to school. And unfortunately, as they were learning and as they were debating, the cat would jump up on his lap and then he'd jump up on other philosophers' laps. And so the great philosopher tied his cat to a pole while they were in session. Future generations saw that and got cats of their own and tied their own cats to the pillars. And a tradition emerged whereby in order for the school of philosophy to be in session, they needed to have a cat tied to a pillar. Legalism. That's what we're looking at today in Mark's gospel. In Mark 7, verses 1 to 23, which Ken just read, Jesus puts legalism in its place. Now, at this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has been going around preaching and teaching and healing. He's becoming so popular that wherever he goes, people run to tell others and they bring their sick on mats to him in the hope that he'll just reach out and touch them and they'll be healed. Jesus had been concentrating his ministry in the northern region around Galilee. But in chapter 7, there are some southerners who seek him out. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were from Jerusalem. They were religious folk with some serious religious credentials. They were good, honest, pure living people. And they traveled all the way from Jerusalem, which is about five days walk, in order to see Jesus. When they get there, what do they do? They gather around Jesus and they observe his way of life. But the first question they ask him is recorded in verse 5. They ask, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders, instead eating their food with defiled hands? Now this is nuts. 
absolutely nuts. The Pharisees have traveled for a whole week in order to banter with Jesus about hand washing. Do you see how crazy that is? But when we look at the context of the conversation, we realize that it's a little bit like the philosopher's cat. There's something going on here, deep down in the souls of these people. The laws of the Old Testament were vitally important for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. For them, they were the way to prevent the spread of disease, live a good life, but most importantly, to please God. They knew their scriptures back to front. And what they found in them were lots of rules about food, washing, and how to live well in God's sight. But on top of the laws, they also made traditions. Man-made rules built across thousands of years, attempting to put a hedge, if you would like, around the laws of God. They would create man-made traditions in order to make sure that people wouldn't break the laws. There were so many man-made traditions that people, normal people, just couldn't keep them. They didn't have the resources, they didn't have the education, all the time to keep all the traditions. But the Pharisees did. They were rich, they were educated, and they were sticklers for the rules, who gained status by knowing the traditions, keeping them, and then looking down on everyone else when others couldn't keep them. The traditions about hand-washing had nothing to do with hygiene. They had everything to do with ceremonial cleanliness. Pharisees would get their servants to scoop up um, a spoonful of water and then drop it on their hands, and then they'd, they'd do a little um, ceremonial dance, and then they'd get their servants to put some more water uh, to drop down their hands so that all the dirty water would drop down into a bowl or a plate or something like that. This was the ceremonial washing that they were talking about. And unfortunately, it be, had become a bit of an act because Jesus' disciples were just regular people, and they, they never did anything like that. It wasn't part of their routine. It's here that Jesus points to the problem with legalism. So often in keeping to the letter of the law, people forgot the spirit of the law. Jesus criticizes his questioners, calling them hypocrites, and quoting from Isaiah 29.13, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus is making the point that these people are more concerned about man-made traditions than they are even about God. He then points to a specific example, which Ken just read, and it's a bit convoluted, but if you read the text clearly, the context is all there. Jesus talks about breaking the fifth commandment, dishonoring your father and mother which in the scriptures is uh, an offense punishable by death, if you can prove it. However, the Pharisees would keep and use their traditions in order to keep their money from their parents. It was a, a simple trick. What they would do is they would devote all their property to the temple. They would call it korban, which means um, offering. Then, when their parents needed financial help, they would say, sorry, mom and dad, Everything I used to own now belongs to the temple, so I can't give you anything. 
then once their parents died, for a small fee, they could go to the temple, redeem all their property, and use it for themselves. Now, this wasn't an isolated case. In verse 13, Jesus says, you do many things like this. Jesus calls out callous legalism in all its forms. The law that was meant to help people enjoy the freedom that they had in God was being twisted to oppress people and for personal gain. Now, it would be easy to dismiss this passage as a quirk of history, an example of how backward people were 2,000 years ago. But the truth is, legalism is alive and kicking in churches, organizations, and communities today. A lot of Jewish purity laws were designed to stop the spread of infection. Food laws were designed to stop the spread of food poisoning. Laws about washing stopped the spread of um, skin diseases. And there are even laws in the Bible that encourage periods of isolation for those who are sick. Sometimes reading the Old Testament is a little bit like listening to a state premier's press conference. <laughs> on, on Friday, I was listening to Anastasia Palaszczuk uh, giving a detailed instructions about what Queenslanders could and couldn't do. You could have so many people in a house. You could have so many people in a party. If you were having that house outside and food was being given and there was dancing, then you could have that many people and, 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 and so on and so forth. The comments section of the video showed that some people thought this was great and some people thought that she was being a bit legalistic. A, week, uh, a couple of weeks ago in our Ministers Fraternal, we had a conversation about the pastoral struggles we're all having in all of our churches around vaccines. In our churches across Dolby, there are honest, God-fearing Christians who don't wish to be vaccinated. And there are people, on the other hand, who are honest, God-fearing Christians, who think everyone should be vaccinated. We talked about how hard it is to honor all people in our communities and keep them all together at the same time. It's almost as if there's, there's two sets of legalists, um, the people who are for vaccines and the people who are against them, and they, they're constantly talking about their points of view. Now, I'm not a doctor, and there are people I know and respect who are much smarter than me on both sides of this debate. But I encourage you to do your own research and speak to your GP about vaccines if you have concerns. I also want you to know that whatever you think about COVID-19 and our response, you are welcome in this church. We love you, and God loves you too. Zoe and I both got our first shots last week and are booked in for our second round soon. We talked things through, did our research, spoke with doctors, and prayed about it, and decided that this was the most loving thing we could do to care for our community. We long for a day when restrictions are lifted, but in the meantime... We need to do what we believe is best in God's eyes. Again, there are legalists who feel it's so important that we follow their laws and regulations. But ultimately, 
living for God is a matter of conscience and listening to God. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what, what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now, Jesus isn't saying that what goes into your body can't affect you. But what he is saying is that the things that defile us spiritually before God are things that come from inside our hearts, not from the outside. And that's why we need to care for our hearts, for our minds, and for our spirits as a matter of priority. And a big part of that is by being at peace with God and by being at peace with people around us. This is why Jesus says in verse 20, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside a person and defile a person. Like Jesus, we live in a world where people fear death and disease. And new legalisms are emerging all the time. If it's not about vaccines, it's about politics or it's about morality. We live in a time where the pomp and ceremony of media and public forums make it so easy for us to create a version of ourselves that looks good on screen, that looks good on the outside, that ticks all the boxes, but has very little substance in real life. The Pharisees were a small group with a lot of influence. And it's sad how people who have strong opinions about all sorts of things can often demonize others and make people believe that other people are the problem. The true problem we all face is more contagious than any virus, more restrictive than any restriction, and stronger even than death. It's sin, and it comes from inside our hearts. The question is, are we going to give in to sin, or are we going to live for the Lord? And this really is the main application of our text today. Are you more concerned about looking good for others or pleasing God? Legalism only becomes a bad thing when rules become God's and God becomes an afterthought. Living for the Lord is about putting God first in all things. Knowing that when we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first... We have nothing at all to fear. Ray Galea, an Anglican minister from Sydney, um, has written an excellent article entitled Vaccine Wars and the Church of God. It's about navigating a world where all of us are affected by the pandemic. And he gives some tips, um, which I'll comment on briefly. And if you go to Google, you can just type in Vaccine Wars um, and that article will pop up. And I really encourage you to have a read of it because it, it really talks about operating in a world where there are differences of, of opinion and, and that's okay. 
So the first tip Ray gives is that we need to remember the two great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus gets harangued for his disciples breaking man-made traditions. He's not even getting harangued for his own actions. He's getting harangued for those of his disciples. But when he's asked the most important commandments, when he's asked what the most important commandments are, he brings us back to the source. He says, love God and love your neighbor. May the pressure we face in the present never lead us to forget God or his command to love the people around us. The second thing is turn your prayer, panic into prayer. God is in control. God is on the throne in all situations. He's got this. We have the privilege of taking our concerns to the one true all-powerful God, knowing that whatever happens, in Jesus there is redemption and there is new life. God is bigger than our problems. And when we pray, we give our concerns to him. And he equips us to do our part. So turn your panic into prayer. Next, be informed and be thankful. Friend, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in God's image. God has put a brain in your head and a heart in your chest and people on earth to help you think and live with gratitude. It's funny that when Jesus' disciples are being accused of being unfaithful to God's word, Jesus answers his critics by quoting from the scriptures. Jesus is across politics and religious debates, but most of all, he knows God's word. He doesn't encourage people to ignore one section for another. Instead, he puts the law in context and applies it to his day. Friends, let's be thankful for all God's people and for the people God has put in our lives, for scientists, for doctors, and for those called into caring roles. They deserve all the respect in the world. The next thing we need to do in order to live for the Lord is to be humble and to acknowledge that no one is infallible. Only God is omniscient. Only God is all-knowing. People will stuff up and at times and at a time when so many people are shouting each other down, it's okay not to be an expert and to be suspicious of your own suspicions. Let's remember that when we see a speck in our neighbor's eye, we need to check for logs in our own eyes. Number five, remember we can never completely avoid risk. We live in a fallen world where sin, sickness, and disasters of all type are part of our reality. We can never eliminate risk completely. And all of us take calculated risks every day. In coming to church, perhaps driving to church, you took a risk this morning. At the same time, we need to remember that just as Jesus conquered death on the third day, so those who cling to him will rise on the last day. His perfect love should cast out our ultimate fears. 
and help us to live boldly for him. Six, don't pressure other people toward your view. It's amazing how Jesus never browbeats his listeners. He, spoke, he speaks with urgency and even frustration at times, but never with disrespect. Jesus always speaks from a position of deep love for his people. And as Ephesians 4.5 tells us, we need to speak the truth in love. Seven, we need to have a biblical view of government. Perhaps now more than ever, it's vital that those who want to live for the Lord draw on the Bible for a God's eye view of government. The Apostle Peter writes, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, if Peter could write that at a time when the same empire killed Jesus, then our mandate is also to honor those who God has put in power over us. This doesn't mean that we need to agree with everything blindly or that we can't protest wrongdoing. It does mean that when we submit to positive authority, we honor God. If we ever choose if we ever have to choose between obeying God and obeying man, we obey God. But in our day to day, the words of Paul to Timothy are also very helpful. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So we're to have a biblical view of government. The final point is that we need to strive to maintain unity in the church. Legalism so often divides us. But when we live for the Lord, we will strive to maintain unity in the church. Take a moment, friends, to look around you. Look around you. Go for it. You can literally look around you. Look around at the people that God has put in your life. And God has put these people in your life for a purpose, for his mission. We need to make every effort to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. Right before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed that we might be one as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Ray Galea puts it beautifully at the end of his article. He says, God's church should be a profound mystery to the world, a place where men, women, young and old, where people of many different cultures, classes, and political persuasions come together in love united by Christ's precious blood and sealed by his Holy Spirit. Let's not divide God's church over vaccines. Friends, legalism divides between the holy and the unholy. But the truth is we're all unholy and we all need Jesus to free us from our sin. Let's let God be the judge and follow our saviour 
seeking to serve him in thought, word, and action, glorifying God and God alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.